welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hello and welcome. This is Katie. And hi there, this is Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Grindhouse Girls podcast. And this is episode 50. What? What? Um, exciting. Yay. Welcome to episode 50. And it's, yeah. it should premiere on our one year anniversary too. Yes. Weirdly. I don't know how they both ended up being on Wednesdays, but there we go. That so, is pretty cool though. That is cool. It might've been, we might've put our first episode on a Tuesday because we put two episodes out the first week, one, oh. the other. but I can't, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but yeah, so we like both wanted to do something really big, but then we also are both like really busy, <laughs> so we didn't want to overwhelm ourselves. So instead of like uh, going through something super complicated, we are going to be covering, kind of comparing and contrasting um, Suspiria, 1977's original by Dario Argento, and the 2018 remake by. Luca? Yes. Luca Guadagino. Um, both Italian directors. Um, and they were made several years apart. Um, but they're both the same plot, but they're both completely different movies. And if you haven't seen either of them, what are you doing with your life? I mean, at least see the original because it's pretty short. Yeah, and not only that, but usually if you look like the, if any horror movie list of the best horror movies ever made, it's always on there. The yes. original one is always on there. And it's, yes. you'll probably notice it. Like, even if you've never seen the movie, if you ever heard of the very beautiful horror film, like Suspiria, it's because it is mm-hmm. gorgeous. Like, it's like these colors are so vivid and so bright. And even my husband, who's not as into movies, he likes <laughs> movies, but not as he into does. movies as I that's, that's we are. My husband even was like, wow, this is a really pretty film. And it's a really pretty yes. film for being filmed in the 1970s. Yes, it was one of the last films to actually be filmed on Technicolor, which is why everything is so bright and vibrant. And in contrast, the newer movie um, is definitely more grounded in reality, but there are moments of just absolute beauty because they are more about the movement of beauty and less about, like, the colors. Like, I feel like the original movie is more framing these beautiful pictures of gore and horror with these beautiful bright colors like there's a lot of like really beautiful frames that Dario Argento uses like the way he films things from like wide angles like he will build these beautiful sets that are like art deco and bright red and like everything's framed really beautifully whereas the newer movie it's more of things are filmed from a more realistic standpoint however Everything is about the movement of the piece because they take the fact that it's based in 
a dance academy and like make it about the dance, which is yeah. so cool. Um, but in contrast, the movement is really interesting in the newer movie, but it's a lot like dimmer and darker. And it's because the reality of 1977 Berlin, where it's based, was a very dark, depressing time. Um, yeah. So it's it's just they're so different, but they both are so interesting. And I don't I don't I, I think I love the newer one in an artsy way because yeah. I do feel like it is a, a a more polished film. It is like I think you said it's like an epic. Yeah, it's definitely more epic in nature. So the original movie, I think it's 93 minutes compared to the, the we'll say it's a revision. I can't even call it a remake. Yeah, it's not but a the remake. Re, yeah, the revision Suspiria is two hours and 37 minutes, which is, I think, beats The Wailing as the longest movie we've ever uh, covered oh, on the see. podcast. How long is The Wailing? Um, if you go by IMDb, it's four minutes shorter than The Wailing, but about wow. the same. About the same, <laughs> you know. I knew they had to be very close in length. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like this one, I mean, there are, we'll get into, like, what we don't like, what mm-hmm. we do like. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think, I am a really big fan of the newer one, but I love the older one, too. Like, I love the older one. I remember when I finally got my hands on it, watching it the first time. I watched it with my friend Elizabeth and my boyfriend at the time, and we just loved it. We loved it. And then I watched The Fan of the Paradise right afterwards and loved it as well. They're both 70s. Big colors, big craziness um, movies, but they're very different. And then when the new one came out, I heard it was just really good. And so I I watched it and I loved it. I, but again, I sat in the middle of the day and watched it all by myself. My boyfriend at the time tried to watch it with me. And from the first like instance of gore, because there's like bones breaking, he like left the room because it grossed him out so much. And I was just like, okay, guess I'm watching the rest of it by myself. And so I watched the rest of it and I was just absolutely engrossed by it um i couldn't look away and i but i I love both of them i but i think you are definitely a bigger fan of the original yeah and it's kind of hard because and i know we will get more into this so what i can appreciate about the remake of suspiria is that they've really elaborated on this idea Mm -hmm. this mythology behind the school i can appreciate that and it's it is beautiful in a very very different way than the original film is, I just feel like there was these great moments of story, and these there was these beautiful moments of of film, especially like the climax is like an absolutely oh gorgeous yes. ending. But I just feel like because of its link, it it had moments that it had very weak moments in the movie, and you can't really if you're if you have a movie that long. It's hard to have those weak moments. And I guess, like, my thing is, is that I can appreciate a horror epic. I just think, I don't know. It's just, like, I like parts of it. I really, really like parts of it. But the parts that were boring were really boring. <laughs> well, that's, it's okay. Like, and I agree. Like, I think this is a movie that don't feel bad about breaking up into parts. Even though mm-hmm. it's, like, um, the third season of Twin Peaks is supposed to be, like, an 18-hour movie. But, like, um, no one's going to do that. So I think it's okay to break it up into parts um, because it's still enjoyable. I think this movie is okay to break up into parts because it's still enjoyable that way. Um, But yeah, I guess before we get too into it, though, let's do housekeeping and what we're watching. And then we'll come right back and kind of 
get into more in-depth compare and contrast. Um, did you have any housekeeping, Britt? I did not. I feel bad because I did not. Now, did you at all? Um, I did because I... Only really one thing that I noticed. I accidentally said that Dario Argento was dead. And he's not. Oh, no! He's still alive. <laughs> I just... I, he hasn't done anything in a little while. Mm-hmm. So I just... Dario Argento was a very prolific director in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s. And he's kind of slowed down, which is normal because he's older now. But, like, yes. I just... I don't know why, but he hasn't really done interviews in a really long time that I could find. So I just kind of assumed and then I double checked it on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, he is not dead. He is still alive. Um, I don't think he's super active um, anymore, although I think he he has written some scripts. I just don't think he really directs as much, Um, but he is like, you know, he's still alive. Um, But that was really the only thing I... Messed up on, so sorry. Sorry, Dario Argento. I'm glad you're not dead. Yes. Um, did you have a, um, like, what are you, what have you been watching? What are we watching? Um, as usual, Katie and the rest of you are so used to hear me say about Banshee. Um, so, I will tell you. Um, so, I actually watched The Trial of the Chicago 7. And How was that? I will be. It, I will be honest, so the first 20 minutes, I was like, oh, guys, nothing but a courtroom drama. It's going to be boring. And then once it gained, like, momentum, probably after the first 30 minutes, I was hooked. I loved it. I thought okay. it was a phenomenal movie. Um, it is best a picture? courtroom drama. It's the Best Picture nominee, yes. But 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 do you think it's worth it? I, I think it's a phenomenal <laughs> movie. And uh, Sorkin, um, God, I forgot the gentleman's first name, but I Aaron. know the director. Aaron. Thank you. Aaron Sorkin was the <laughs> one who also run, uh, won Best Original Screenplay for The Social Network a couple years back. Um, so it's a, it's a great movie. I still can't help but think, okay, <laughs> I, will not go on my, I will not go on my big, big, big uh, tangent about uh, my Oscar theories. But I tend to notice that most years, I think the Best Picture winner nominate what we're kind of looking for as an American public at the time. Mm-hmm. Or not American public, that's wrong. What we're looking for as, as people at the time. And like, so the year, like 2008, I remember 2008 was a rough year and Slumdog Millionaire won because Slumdog Millionaire is a very hopeful movie. I mm-hmm. keep thinking Minari may take it home. I don't know I why. I hope so. Yeah, I keep thinking Minari is going to be... I think it's going to win Best Supporting Actress, and I think it's going to win Best Picture. Well, and, like, I feel like I loved Promising Young Woman. I do, like, I have heard some people critique that, like, it's kind of messy. I did not see that. But I do agree that until you get to the end of Promising Young Woman, not going to spoil it here in case you haven't listened to our episode on it, um, I think, yeah, until you get to the ending sequence, it doesn't really seem like a Best Picture and I don't know, like, but I loved it. So it would be mm-hmm. great if it won. I think direction-wise, though, and cinematography-wise, I think Minari is much stronger. Like, oh, and see, I think cinematography yeah. is going to be Nomadland. See, okay, so I finally watched Nomadland. It's fine. It wasn't anything new to me. It was beautiful. Beautiful yeah. cinematography. Frances McDormand is always amazing. But it mm-hmm. wasn't anything new. And it was very depressing. And I just kind of, like, it didn't really feel that hopeful at the end. And I was just kind of like, I just, even Promising Young Woman was, like, hopeful at the end. And I was like, not that you have to have a happy ending. 
But I feel like that movie, like, to go through all of that with this character and then just kind of leaving it at, like, a flat line of just, like, yeah, this is what my life is. I mean, it's very honest, but I was just like, I just, it's a movie, though. You know, it is cool they used real people from the Nomad um, community, which was cool. Yes. But it wasn't great. It was fine. It was good. I I did like it a lot, and um, to be honest, I think it will sim- will win cinematography because Minari is a gorgeous it was movie. Really absolutely, pretty. Minari is absolutely gorgeous. But Nomadland, we got to see a lot of different landscape beauty um, and a lot of a natural lot of lighting. Yeah, a lot, a lot of America. America. Um, it's it's really think, pretty. It's yeah, really pretty. I, I think Frances McDormand may be the strongest actor I've seen in any of the best pictures so far as an actress. Not best supporting actress, but best actress. The only thing is, because I think she won for three billboards a couple years back, I think, I haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but between Ma uh, yeah, that's Davis what I've been winning, meaning yeah. to watch. Yeah, I think yeah. Viola Davis is going to take it home for best I hope actress. she does, because honestly, I love Frances McDormand. There is mm-hmm. no denying she's an amazing actress. Phenomenal. But yes. she has won so many times. <laughs> and has. I'm sick of it, frankly. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. You don't need to win. And she's she's bored with it. Come on. Like, remember that year that she wore a jean jacket to the Oscars? She's flipping bored with it. Like, y'all, I mean, she's not bored with acting. But she's, I, I don't think she even, like, likes getting awards. I think she's just, like, she's just beyond it at this point. So, I think it's always laughable when they nominate her. I'm like, well, duh, she got nominated. But, like, please don't. Like, give it to somebody who hasn't had it yet, who did a good job. Also, by the way, IMDb had a featurette today when I was looking up information. It said, The Rise of Frances McDormand. And I was like, um, she's literally won, like, a billion Oscars. She, it's that like, raise was a Fargo? long time ago. I know it was like Fargo was in the nineties. I was a baby when Fargo came out. Like, come on, IMDb. I love IMDb, I, but I was like, that's ridiculous. Before I've ever saw Fargo, I saw Fargo when I was like seventeen years old. I always knew it was the movie with the pregnant cop. Yes, always. That was the big so. thing. <laughs> I, it's such a good movie, and I don't really love um, the well, shit. What are their names? Cohen. Cohen. The Cohen brothers. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. I'm not. I, I think the Coen brothers are good directors, but they're, again, like, they've won a bunch of times. They do very similar things over and over and over again, and I'm just kind of bored with them at this point. Not that I won't watch their movies, but, like, I'm just kind of like, okay, been there, done that. And so, like, you know, Fargo is probably my favorite of theirs, even though I know No Country for Old Men everyone liked. I kind of was very lukewarm about No Country for Old Men. I thought it was amazingly made. Kind of like Nomadland. Amazingly made. It just didn't... Like, I got kind of bored watching Nomadland. And it wasn't that it was bad. It was just kind of, like, slower, quiet. It was very quiet. I will say, without spoiling it for our audience, the one thing I found helpful about the Nomadland ending is I thought it was she was getting to say a proper goodbye is the way I took the ending. I guess. It was, yeah. it just kind of made me feel sad for her, though. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was good she was moving on, but then I was also just like, I wish something, like, different. I like, wish she had, like, found something. But it, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. They made a choice, I do at like, least. 
I do like the realism behind that, though. And I feel like Promising Young Women is very similar, so they took the real honest choice when it would have been very easy to give a cop out. But they also gave us that cathartic ending in Promising Young Women. And that's what I want to feel from a movie, especially coming out of 2020. I want to feel something cathartic. And, Which is why I think Minari know. will get it. Yeah, I hope Minari does, because I like Minari a lot. I, I don't dislike Nomadland. It just was kind of, mm-hmm. like, bland in my... But it was beautiful. Um, and the music was really quiet. I didn't really... Like, yeah. It just kind of was like, uh, okay. But everyone was good in it. It's just like, and I don't know. It was too slice of life, I think. Speaking about cathartic, um, I I think we, like... we The Sound of Metal doesn't get enough talk about. Oh, I do like Sound of Metal, but I definitely oh, like so Sound good. of Metal better than those two. Yeah. Definitely. The Minari and even though like I love Minari, I, I think Sound of Metal was more dynamic and entertained for more consistently. Um I did finally watch Mank, which is the most boring movie I've watched. <laughs> oh no. Um, of the best pictures. Oh, by the way, uh I got a puppy this week. We can talk about it at the end of the thing. So my brain is just completely gone. Um, Mank is directed by David Fincher, who is an amazing director. He did Fight Club and Seven, and he's just a really great director. And it's really competently made. The acting's great. It's just really bland. And it's a it's a Hollywood kind of loving itself kind of movie. And it's just kind of like... Also, the thing that bothered me, and this isn't really a spoiler, because it's so weird the way this is said in the movie, but, so, it's it's focusing on Mank, who was the um, uh, writer, the screenwriter for Citizen Kane, which is a very famous, very important movie in the history of cinema. And, Rosebud. Yes, Rosebud. Um, <laughs> they, they focus on his writing, but then, like, his housekeeper just offhandedly mentions that um, her German village was um, liberated by Mank from the Nazis. And it's just like an offhand comment. I'm like, where's the movie about that? I want to watch that. I don't want to watch him write. I want to watch that. That's cool. Like, let's let's watch these people get liberated by, like, a Hollywood screenwriter. That's crazy. But they just kind of gloss over it. And then I tried to look it up, and then I was like, I don't even know if this really happened. Um, it'd be cool if it did. Um, and... You know, it's um, it's Gary Oldman. He's amazing. He's always amazing. Uh, Amanda Seyfried does a good job. The guy that is playing um, shit, Orson Welles is is dead on with his Orson Welles. And all the supporting cast is great. It's just, like, boring. And it is sweet. David Fincher's dad actually wrote this screenplay decades ago. And he's been wanting to do it for years. So I think that's really cool and everything. But I really think, I'm glad it's on Netflix, because I would not tell anyone to waste their money on this movie. And I'm surprised, I think the only reason it's nominated for Best Picture is because it's David Fincher. And he's great. You know what's interesting? uh. It's that this one, Mank, is actually nominated for more awards this year than any other movie, too. Which is weird, because I just don't think it's that, like, cool. Like, it's fine, it's just, like, not that different or outstanding it's just it's really solidly made but it's kind of like i mean it's just like like technically it's great but it just doesn't seem to have a lot of heart sorry david fincher i love you you're amazing i don't think i just even do, i haven't watched make yet so you're ahead of me because i think the last the last two you have katie is the trial of the chicago seven and yes. you also have the father left to yes, watch. yes which i want to watch the father but yeah. i don't really want to pay to watch it 
honestly. And it's only in rental, like in theater rental right now. And I don't really want to pay $20 for it. So I'll, I may not watch The Father until it comes on streaming. I, I'm, I'm going to do it, but that's because I'm too fucking stubborn not to. <laughs> I want to. If you do, let me know so we can yeah. just watch it together. So I don't, because I don't want to pay for it, but I want to watch it with you. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I think this is going to be one of those Oscar years. And we actually, I won't name names, but we have like two friends coming to our little Oscar <laughs> shindig who are like, I don't really care about the Oscars. I'm just coming to hang out. And I'm like, awesome. I actually do care about them, but that's okay. Um, but I think it's going to be one of those years that it's going to be like, this film wins two, this film wins two, this film wins one. I don't yeah. think there's going to be any one film that's going to take home a lot of stuff. And I'm just this like... This isn't I'm, Titanic. This isn't 1997. Yeah. This yeah. isn't Parasite. <laughs> it, like, I, like, last year I was so excited about Parasite winning. And, like, I was so invested in it winning. Because mm -hmm. there was a controversy where people were like, how dare it win, blah, blah, blah. But, but Parasite this year, was like, weird, eh. too. Parasite was nominated for any major actors award. Well, that's because they're all foreign actors and people don't know them as well. Even though the dad in Parasite just got named in, like, November. The New York Times did this really weird, this really weird 25 best actors of the twenty, the last 20 years. And he was in it. Oh, wow. But the weird part is, which is great. No, he deserves it. But, like, they threw in Keanu Reeves and Melissa McCarthy. Huh. Into this list. And I overheard it on Sardonicast. I heard about this list and I had to look it up myself. And but they had you know the dad from uh, Parasite and he's been in so many South Korean movies. He was in The Host. He was in this movie Taxi Driver that got a lot of really good uh, reviews. Memories of a Murder. Memories right? of a Murder, which I've been trying to get my hands on for such a long time. Like I just want to watch it. It's on Blu-ray apparently. I might actually just buy it on Amazon Prime because it's finally available to buy on Amazon Prime. But Criterion's releasing like a special version. Mm -hmm. and they are. So like there were there are actors like that that totally deserve it. Like Tilda Swinton. Like they're deserving actors. But then they just throw in Keanu Reeves, and I'm like, okay, I agree with all the people that say. Yeah, it's not about are you a bigger star. If you're going to say the best actors, they should actually be the best actors and not the b biggest stars because that's different. Like, this was a Zonsardonicast. They gave this, so this isn't my opinion, but I agree with it. Um, the Rock is an amazingly big movie star. I do not think he's that good of an actor. So that was interesting. Um, but, yeah, so... And the only other thing I started watching... Which is a TV show, is I finally watched the first episode of The Queen's Gambit, which is quite good. Um, I just haven't gotten into all of it yet. But um, it's good. It has Anya Taylor-Joy, and she won a bunch of awards for it. And, you know, she's great. I love her. And I, she does. I have to say this real quick. So I am very into much the fashion of the awards season. Mm -hmm. Anya Taylor-Joy has been killing it. Been oh, killing she it. does. Oh my God, her. she's our little absolutely gorgeous. Yes, Thomason. We Thomason. we will always love and know her as Thomason. So who is also going to be in Edgar Wright's new movie if it ever gets put out, which it keeps like it's about time travel too. Apparently, oh, that's um, cool. I can't wait for it to come out because I'm a big Edgar Wright fan. Anyways, um, but yeah, so uh, the Oscar watch continues. Yes. So, I will definitely try to watch The Trial of Chicago 7. I want to see The Father. I just, I don't want to pay 20 bucks for it. But if you rent it, maybe I'll come over and watch it with you. I'll bring my little puppy. I got a puppy this week. Surprise. A surprise puppy. 
puppy. A surprise puppy. Um, my boss's uh, mom and stepdad adopted a puppy, not realizing how much work a puppy is and how much energy a puppy is. They kind of just wanted like a a chill lap dog, and he is a mini dachshund, um, which I didn't even realize was a thing because dachshunds are already so small. <laughs> but he's a miniature dachshund. And he's his name is Gizmo after Gremlins. He's so sweet, and I love him so much. Um, but you know, it it was a surprise. I've been wanting a dog for a very long time, and I've been slowly working towards it. And it was one of those things like, do you want this dog? You can't say no to that. So he's great. I love him so much, and I'm, I will definitely probably by the time this airs, I will have shown pictures on our fur baby Friday because I've taken plenty of pictures of him. Um, so hopefully he'll um, want to come to the Oscar party too. So we yes, can. it's nice. Almost everybody we know in our friend circle are vaccinated at this point. Yes, which is nice. We went to dinner with some people. Obviously, we wore masks into the restaurant, but then we were all like sitting at the table and we're all like, "Oh my god, everyone's been vaccinated." That's amazing. Like it's just nice. It's nice to go a little back to normal. Yes. So it's great. Okay. Anyways. So, with that being said, I guess Ooh. we need to start kind of talking about Suspiria. Woo! We do. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to preface it that um, Suspiria is lingering around. The 1977 version, if you want to look for it, it is there. And that is what we yes. will say about that. It's Suspiria lurking on the internet. It's a is, lurker. It is. Uh, Superior 2018, however, is on Amazon Prime right now. Yes, it was actually an Amazon original movie, which there are things I don't like about Amazon, like business practices wise. I get why people hate Amazon. I totally understand uh, why people have problems with it right now. However, their movie stuff is just top notch. Like they, they really give independent directors like a lot of freedom. And they've had so many good movies come out, like The Sound of Metal, like Suspiria, like... Um, uh, you Were Never Really There. You Were Never Really There, yes. That was another one. And I was trying to think of that... Oh, The Big Sick. That was the movie I was thinking of. And The Big Sick, like, like really cool stuff. So their movie department seems to be top-notch. Um, but I don't know about the rest of it. You know, I hear conflicting reports, so I totally understand if... Because I know some people have been, like, boycotting Amazon. That's cool. Um, you don't absolutely have to watch it, but it is because it's an Amazon original movie. It is that. And it's really just that because honestly, Luca Guadagnino, um, he just wanted some freedom with this movie. This was something he'd been dreaming about for a really long time. Um, so I guess I have a tiny little synopsis. It is generally the same plot for both movies. However, the first movie is much more of a mystery and the second movie is very upfront with what is happening and then fleshes everything out. So it's it's much more complicated, but it's essentially the same plot. It's just told in a very different structure. Um, and we probably will be getting into spoilers after this synopsis. So just letting you know, this is not going to be spoiler-free because basically the beginning of the the reimagining kind of spoils the ending of the first one so i'm just gonna say that um i would recommend both of them to everybody because i think they're both really great movies and i think they're both very important to cinema however the second one is very long and very grotesque 
Whereas the first one is much more accessible, but it is a lot of blood, but it's kind of cartoony blood. And it's it's almost like, you know, they're almost like celebrating blood. Like the horror movie genre of blood. There's a lot of blood in both these movies. Like a ton. Um, but yeah, I would just say, I mean, anything different? Would you? Is there anything else you would say before we, to recommend to people like what they should and shouldn't watch? Um, I will say this. Um, so, <laughs> uh, the original is a classic. Um, I mean, you just cannot escape the fact that the original Suspiria is a classic. Even if you haven't watched it, I promise you have seen a clip from it. You've seen stills from the movie. You've heard about the movie. Um, it's a short watch. Um, I, I personally, as much as I love films, um, I have a hard time sitting for a long time. So usually for me, those hour and a half, two hour movies, that's kind of my bread and butter and what I enjoy. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend it just because, I mean, fuck, it's being taught in film classes to this day. And well, I think the new one is going to be, cause I think it is just an absolute masterpiece of cinema. Personally. I think the new one has a lot of beautiful ideas, beautiful <laughs> moments. Everyone hates this. I, I, I don't, them. I don't hate it. I don't hate it because there are parts that I think are really beautiful and gripping. Absolutely. Do I think it takes a while to get to those parts? Absolutely. So True. But it is good. And I mean, the new one has some phenomenal actresses. Like, come on. Anyone who's sleeping on Dakota Johnson because of the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Oh, my God. Watch this movie. She obviously has talent. Um, oh, so, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, no, I don't think it's one to sleep on. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a fine film. I, I wish it had been a shorter film. And there are some other things about the movie I will get into, but we will say we're about to hit the spoiler territory. You know what? You know what I want? I want someone to edit this movie to make it more palatable to like a general audience and see. I want them to. They're not that. Not that I. I don't love it, but I feel like I feel like more people would watch it if it was a little shorter. And I would like someone to edit it, please those editors out there edit it but you might lose a lot of it so um i'm gonna go through a very like slight synopsis and then we're gonna go super spoilery so both suspiria movies pretty much follow this Susie banyan an american dancer travels to germany to join the ranks of a prestigious all-female dance academy but behind the iron curtain lies a web of secrecy and sorcery as Susie must discover who or what is causing so many mysterious disappearances. Da, da, da. And I say all female because the main characters are all female, but I will say in the original movie, there are men mm-hmm. dancing, but they don't seem to live at the dance academy. So yeah. it's a very female-centric movie. Um, the original, actually, Dario Argento was um, joined in the writing process by the actress Daria Nicolodi, who was in Deep Red with him right beforehand, which was another Jalo film he did. And she convinced him to do primarily female cast, whereas the new movie is pretty much an entirely female cast, except for some key characters. And I will say both of these movies, directed by men, are very female-centric. And mm-hmm. I would say, especially the second one, almost like a feminist theory. 
yeah practice definitely oh no absolutely and you probably know this too so uh when he wrote um he co-wrote it with her they were actually romantically involved at the time um they were like partners um and he had actually had this idea that the dance academy would be young girls like young teenagers and so that's why the dialogue um it kind of they sound almost like very naive and they're kind of childish yes. when they talk and once Especially i learned the that they stick tongues out of each other yes and once <laughs> i learned that i was like okay this makes so much more sense in the wider yes. scheme of things um now the way i always thought watching these two movies is the original if you keep in mind the original is like a fairy tale that helps you kind of yes. take it in that way if you watch yes. the remake and keep in mind that this is very much realism and like mm -hmm. trying to ingrain these supernatural events in a very bleak time in history that's what's yes. going to help you mainly separate the two we got the fairy tale and we got the very bleak realness um in the yes. real one yes definitely so i guess let's get into like the directors i think that's the first thing compare and contrast how mm -hmm. they how they differ dario argento started out he's famous for italian giallo films giallo films if you don't know or giallo as a lot of people say it um it's italian for the word the color yellow and it refers to the crime novels with yellow spines like kind of like pulp fiction um and basically crime nudity murder was all in those books and those are the kinds of movies that Jalo refers to and they're usually very over the top very much more about emotions you're like his movies are more about the emotional toll of the films and less about the plot so his is all about like how the characters are feeling less about like what's actually happening and they're very brightly colored and just tons of blood but like almost in a beautiful way and one of the first Jalos to do this was Blood and Black Lace, which is about a person who is murdering people in a fashion show. So there are all these beautiful models and they're getting murdered in these beautiful ways. A lot of things people say about Suspiria is how beautiful it is. Like the blood is like hyper red and it's almost like paint. And so it's almost like sometimes I remember there was a part where like Susie tosses something down the drain and I was like, oh, it's blood. And we were watching with people who hadn't seen it before and they were like, it looks like paint. And I was like, ah, it's blood, but it's jalo blood because it's bright red. Um, and he he really made it big. He kind of made jalos into more legit movies because before they were kind of trashy movies. But he his first movie, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, was really, really well received. And he kind of went on to do Suspiria, Deep Red, Inferno, Tenebre, Opera, and Inferno. Also Mother of Tears, which I've heard is terrible. That's okay. Um, <laughs> we can't all have hits. Um, and he kind of based Suspiria on this interesting mythology called the Three Mothers mythology with Mother Suspiriorum, which is the mother of size, which is this movie, Mother Tenembrom, which is the mother of darkness, and Mother Lacrimarum, which is the mother of tears. And basically, there's this guy. Did you read about who came up with this, by the way? I, I read that it was, like, based on a series of essays, and it was very loosely based on a series of essays, but I didn't read more about the author of the original essays, other so, than it was published in the 1800s. So, the author of uh, Suspiriorum de Profundis was Thomas de Quincey. He's an English essayist, and um, he is also very famous for writing Confessions of an English Opium Eater. And basically, he was an opium user, and he would write about things he saw in opium, and that's kind of where he came up with 
the Three Mothers mythology. But it is kind of based on, like, there's three graces, there's three fates, there's three mothers, and uh, they're kind of witches. But one of them is very cruel, one is old and wise, which is Mother Suspiriorum. And then um, there's, like, a very powerful one, Mother Lacrimarum. And Suspiria was kind of based on it, but it wasn't really supposed to be the beginning of a trilogy. It was kind of retroactively the first in the trilogy. Um, so the other, the middle one is Inferno. I guess Tenabre and Inferno are both of it, are both part of it. But um, anyways, so it's, it's kind of interesting, but also, like, it was made about, um, about an opium addict came up with it so i don't know if it's very uh rooted in reality but it, it is interesting and both movies really focus on it um what did you have any other like cool stuff about dario argento um i'm trying to think real quick um not not really um of course like i think um something going into this film that's really influential is and it's funny because it's also influential in um, the 2018 thir- version is that he yes. um, he worked with the band Goblin to make yes. the soundtrack. And music um, mm-hmm. and soundtrack is very important in both movies. And Goblin is so... F- I mean, it's funny. It's funny. So it's, I don't think it's meant to be intentionally funny, but you'll just randomly hear, which, 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 like, throughout the yeah. movie. They do the same thing. And I was... We, we can talk about music, too, but mm-hmm. they do the same thing at the ending sequence of the second one because mm-hmm. they're like they're like chanting um marcos 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 yes. marcos marcos and it's in like the music too and it's mm-hmm. pretty so there's like the thing about the reimagining is it's so respectful to the original one i think that's why i like it so much it's not they're doing something totally different yes but it's so respectful in fact luca guadagino actually got permission from dario gento himself he didn't just like get it from a studio. He asked him himself and he was like the first person to successfully get full access because there were a lot of directors that were trying to remake Suspiria and he basically saw Suspiria as a 14 year old, loved it. And he was like every, he's a very funny man, by the way. He said, every director is a megalomaniac, so I'm not going to say I'm any different. And I was like, one day I'm going to remake Suspiria. I'm going to make my own Suspiria. And cause I just love it so much. And like, it's been festering in his brain for years, and he's always, his passion project, he's always wanted to do it, but he kind of became more famous for different kinds of movies. He did I Am Love with Tilda Swinton and A Bigger Splash with Tilda Swinton. Um, he's also been working on a TV series called We Are Who We Are, um, which I think it's either on Amazon Prime or Hulu, I can't remember. But um, the biggest thing that people know him for is... Mm-hmm. He adapted Call Me, Me by, by Your, Your Name, Name, which which won best, I think, adapted screenplay at one best adapted uh, screenplay. I think that is correct, yeah. And, and it was nominated novel. for a shit ton of Academy Awards. It was. Yeah. It was. Unfortunately, um, what's his face? Army, Army Hammer. Hammer's in it, which is, has gotten himself in some trouble recently. Um, interestingly... Every, and interestingly enough, uh, my understanding is the same cinematographer worked on both movies, too. That is that is his cinematographer and editor for every movie. It's one of his best friends since he was, like, in his 20s. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he works with, like, the same people over and over again. And um, he's, he, uh, there's a couple directors that we've liked that are like that. Like, I feel like you have to have, a, like, a really good relationship. Because they, they so often color the language of your film. 
by how it's edited or how it's filmed. So he works with like basically very similar crews, like sometimes different. Um, but yeah, call me by your name was probably what everyone thought of it, but he started working on this two years Mm -hmm. before he filmed call you by your name. And so every day he was doing press for call me by your name. He was working on Suspiria and he was like, cause which I find so funny cause everyone loves call me by your name, but it was kind of his throwaway movie because he, he did care about it obviously, but he, it was not his passion project, but that one is so acclaimed. And this one kind of just went under the rug. And I was like, you can tell like he really thought about the mythology and yeah. the plot and every character in this movie, you know, and it's, it's just very interesting. Um, he's a very interesting person. I highly recommend listening to him talk about some stuff. And he says horror is what he really is passionate about. And this will not be his only horror movie. And he will do another horror movie because he loves it. He said, every time we got a new bag of blood, I just got so excited. Like, he loves horror movies. So I hope he does more. I just hope maybe he'll tighten them up a little bit so more people will watch them. Yeah, and oh my god. So I, I'm so ready to get into the stories for both of them and how they compare and contrast. Um, because I, I don't want to say too much about my kind of irritations with the script um, for either film until we get into that uh, area. So I'm like, yeah. ah. You'll see me jotting notes. About, like, yeah. like, themes... Which will kind of get into the plot because they both have like very interestingly different themes. Going into the plot, I think it's very interesting that they both kind of have these themes of duality in the first one. And then there's a theme of uh, deception in the, I'm sorry, not the first one, the new one. Mm -hmm. In the older one, there's like a theme of deception. And I think it's interesting because they're both kind of approaching the same plot, but from a totally different angle because like... There's this really cool thing about, like, a Tilda Swinton, for instance, who is, well, we can kind of go into characters too, but Tilda Swinton plays multiple parts in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's several actors who play multiple parts in the new version. Whereas, like, the old version, like, it's really more about a mystery. Yeah. And I think that's why I would always recommend watching the first one before you see the new one, because I think seeing the new one first would ruin the first one for you. Um, without getting too spoilery but i guess we're in spoilers anyways so you know we'll be we'll just be spoilery um but i think it's very interesting those themes um of yeah because it's really about like the witches are very honest in the new movie they're just like yeah we're witches they're not totally honest with the outside world but they're way more open about it with certain people whereas in the new movie they're kind of hiding the the old movie they're like hiding the fact that they're witches but they're also, like, laughing and kind of, like, evil about it. So I just find it, I like, I think it's a lot more, like, it's very black and white, who's bad and who's good in the old movie, whereas yeah. the, which is very fairy tale like Yeah. Whereas the new movie is very much, like, shades of gray, like, maybe they're not all bad witches, maybe they're good witches, maybe they're kind of just neutral witches, like. Yeah. Um, but I find it very interesting, um. Yeah, anyways. But yeah. But, like, yeah. So. <laughs> Segway. Yeah. No, no, no. Um. So yeah. Um. Now I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Sorry, I think I thought about this movie too much. No, it's fine. It's fine. So, um, I think it's interesting too if we're comparing and contrasting. So, um, I didn't particularly feel this way, but turns out the original Suspiria got a lot of, um, 
flack that a lot of people thought it was misogynist. And Dario Argento huh. actually, Dario Argento did make a comment about, and this didn't help him at all, that he was <laughs> like, what, I like pretty women, and I'd rather see a pretty woman get murdered than an unpretty woman. And so we're like, oh my god. But I don't feel that way. I don't necessarily feel the movie's misogynist at all. I just think that it, it it's centered around female characters. If anything, I, I would say it's feminist in a way that's unpredictable because there are male characters in the original one, yes, but they're pretty useless. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. there's no other way to say it. There's, but like, this... literally one male character that talks. Yeah, maybe two. Maybe two, two I two, think. Two, yeah. yeah. And in so, the first one. But the, the new one, in its defense, is extremely feminist. I would yes. say, especially Just, in the relationship between the dancers and the witches. Mm-hmm. And I was very, like, I was surprised a male person directed this movie because it is so feminist. But he also, like, one, he's been working out forever. Two, he casts a lot of people years before they started production. Like, Tilda Swinton was always going to do it. Dakota Johnson was attached for two years before they started filming. And before that, Naomi, uh, not Naomi, uh, Natalie, Nat, no, Natalie Portman was originally going to be Susie, oh, which wow. Mary Helen Bowers, who um, trained the Black Swan cast for Black Swan, also trained Dakota Johnson. So, and um, the girl that played Sarah, Mia Goth, also, like, trained intensely for months because Mia Goth actually lied to the director and said yeah i've been dancing my whole life and so as soon as she got the part she said oh shit so she trained like on her own for months um but she really like i think i really like her as sarah i think there's the cool thing about the new movie is everybody is such a strong character but you have the you have the you know the comfort of you know being a two and a half hour movie so you can flesh characters out but every character is very strong like sarah has such a strong personality yeah um as does um um patricia um which patricia literally has like four lines in the original movie and then Mm -hmm. she gets murdered and she's a really cool death but it's kind of just like uh she's murdered yeah and it is cool. I mean, I think the coolest thing, this is a spoiler. I would say watch the movie before you start listening to this because I think it does ruin it when you know this, but it also makes it really cool. One of the roles Tilda Swinton plays in this movie, just to be more feminist, is like the only male character that has a sub, you know, that has a large part in this movie. Um, um, she does such an amazing job playing this older character. Like, the only thing is. An, like the voice is a little feminine exactly yeah i've had a lot of people like i think red letter media said this and a couple other people like i wish they had like maybe toned the voice down like like a a decibel not yeah like a an octave like just like kind of brought it down a little bit so I i think it's really interesting that she plays the only male character that has any substantial part in this movie just to make it more feminine and i think it's just really cool um but she does an amazing job. And if you don't know it going into it, I don't know if you would catch it. Yeah. I think it's really, really cool, too. And that's the only thing that, like, so to me, the makeup job they did was unrecognizable. Like, I don't recognize All her. the makeup in, the in that movie. The makeup is phenomenal. But it was the voice that just gave it away that something yeah. was off. 
because it yeah. was just soft enough that I was like, is that, is that, I didn't know it was Tilda Swindon, but I was like, is that a woman? Like, I think is what, yeah. I, what I initially thought. So. Yeah. But it's, I, I love that aspect of it. She also plays Mother Marcos, which is like a little gremlin of a person at the end of the movie. She's so gross looking. I just, I, I just thought it was funny. Like, to me, this is another problem I have with Suspiria 2018, is that when you have a movie that long, is you need some kind of humor to break it up, and it's relentless. There is no humor in that yeah. movie to me, except when I saw fucking Mother Marcos wearing those shades in the last. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> it's like she's wearing sunglasses. Like the whole movie is so serious, and then you have this blob creature wearing sunglasses. That was pretty funny. So uh, that's the I thought first... it was funny when they had the frame around the painting of Marcos and Blanc, though, like with pubic hair. Oh, I didn't that realize that's funny. what it was supposed to be. I don't know if it's supposed to be pubic hair, but damn it, damn it, it looked like human hair at least. At the very I thought least. it was like a nasty frame, but I was just like, oh, it's just a nasty oh, I think it's frame. Hair. It was oh. like pubic hair. Oh. I think they like shaved the witches and or this, yeah. Um, and that's kind of a big difference in the plot is that in the original, Susie is is like kind of a blank slate. She is. We don't really know anything about her background except that she's an American mm-hmm. um, and she's a hopeful dancer. She kind of like resembles Snow White. She's very innocent and pure and she doesn't really do anything like sexual or adult. She's very young um, and she's a, a very, very wide eyed innocent who's like kind of awakened as a person through the discovery of the coven and she kind of opens her eyes to like what's hidden. Um, but she's purely good and she fights purely bad and she discovers the coven and like kills them and defeats them that way and like destroys the whole thing and she wins and saves people. That's great. In the new movie, Susie's background is super fleshed out. She grew up Mennonite where dance was very, uh, taboo. Her mother was very harsh and you can understand why she'd want to run so far away from home. And she's always wanted, she's for some reason always wanted to go to Berlin, especially. And yeah. um, she's, she's very much like a lost person who's trying to find her home. And she finds it in the dance academy. And at some point, uh, Madame Blanc, played by Tilda Swinton, is telling her, like, you know, these are two of my favorite quotes. There are two things that dance can never be again, beautiful and cheerful, which I think explains this whole movie because <laughs> it's, it is beautiful, but it's grotesquely beautiful Yeah, and it's definitely not cheerful. And then she says, and I think this is really speaking to the, the role of duality and what actually is happening in the dance Academy in the new movie is when you dance the dance of another, you make yourself the image of its creator. You empty yourself so that her work can live within you. You have to decide what you want to be for this company. And Susie says the hands, I want to be the hands. Like she wants to do something for the company and for all of her newfound sisters and mothers of the company. And Susie is a vessel is what they want her to be. They want her to be this blank vessel to carry the spirit of Mother Suspiriorum. But, unlike the original Susie, who was like a blank canvas and was kind of a vessel for just like an everyman story, she should be a vessel. But it turns out Susie is much more than it appears because, you know, spoiler alert for the ending, Susie is and always has been 
Mother Suspiriorum. Yeah. The whole, like, thing that the witches are trying to achieve in the new movie is they are trying to bring back Mother Suspiriorum from hundreds of years of being gone. And they vote in, like, the beginning of the movie. You hear them kind of voting about, like, Mother Marcos or Mother Madame Blanc. Which one is going to lead this ceremony? And basically, you know, I guess get the power of Mother Suspiriorum. Yeah. Which one's going to be anointed for Mother Suspiriorum. And you never really see Mother Marcos until the end. But Madame Blanc is like, she's like an active participant in the coven and in the dance school. She's like the lead choreographer that everyone comes to see. Um, So she's really the more deserving. But like a lot of politics, for some reason, Mother Marcos um, gets voted. And um, Susie basically calls her like a false god (laughs) kind of thing. And uh, fucks everybody up. (laughs) And it's great. And that's what I kind of, that is one thing I really liked about the remake is that, so it's very interesting because the original one actually opens with like this voiceover, which is of course Argentina in the original. And it's just like, Susie Brennan decides that she wants to perfect her dancing. So she goes, I'm like, oh, so just to perfect her dancing, she travels all the way from America to fucking Germany. Okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the new movie, we see that there's flashbacks even of Susie as a child where Mm -hmm. she's obsessed with Berlin and Germany. And her sister's like, Mm -hmm. no, you know, we're we're focusing on America. And so there's something that's like been catapulting her her whole life. To go yes. there. And like she's gone. Like she's hitchhiked. Which is in the 70s. It's very very dangerous. If you think about the history of the 1970s. It's still dangerous. She, don't do it. <laughs> it's still dangerous. But but even worse so back in. Before there was phones. And you know girls just would go hitchhiking all the time. And then disappear for years. Until a body was found. Awful. Mm-hmm. So very dangerous time to be hitchhiking in America. But she would do it. Because she was so captivated by this dance. So there was something her whole life compelling her. To go there to Germany, to the specific dance academy. Yes. And I did like that character characterization a lot. Like, there yes. was real purpose. meaning and motive and yes. purpose. Yes. And she she's an active participant. Because the thing is, like, they try to make her a vessel. And so the cool thing about the witches, which, and the coven, I guess we're talking about, like, the coven. So in the new movie, it's not just like, oh, because in the old movie, they could have been anywhere. They could have been in a mm-hmm. dance academy. They could have been in a, in a drama academy. They could have been in a painting academy or a music academy. It doesn't matter. Um, the dance isn't that important in the original movie. It's just a place for them all to be at. Um, it's like Hogwarts, you know. Does it matter that much about being wizards? Not really. It's more of the characters that you're into than just it being magical. Um but in the new movie, the dance is actually how the witches perform their spells. Yes. And so basically, we learn Chloe Grace Moretz plays Patricia, who's like the mm-hmm. first victim. And she goes to her psychiatrist, Dr. Klumper, in the very first scene of the movie. And she's like, they're all, she says, one of my, my favorite um, lines, she and um, Olga, who is another victim, say seasoned hexen which means they are witches in or i guess you are witches um in german and you know they're she's like they're witches and they're using us first they try to get patricia to be their vessel she's really into like more political radicalization than being a dancer um and they kind of make that mistake 
and Patricia kind of disappears. So then Olga is supposed to be the protagonist when Susie gets to the dance academy. And Olga runs off and then they have... This is how you know that the witches use dance to cast their spells. Because Madame Blanc like touches Susie's hand because Susie says, I'll, I'll dance the protagonist even though it's my first rehearsal. day on campus. Yeah. I'll dance that part since Olga's gone. And they like kind of like subtly, like she touches her hands and you can see like there's a subtle glow in her hands. And basically Susie's doing the choreography and Olga is kind of like hypnotized into yeah. walking into this mirror room, um, which is just all mirrors, which is creepy enough. But, you know, makes sense for a dance academy. Um, she, every move that Susie makes contorts Olga's body in a way that basically renders her immobile. But it is one of the most grotesque, disgusting things. And there wasn't any CGI used in that scene, which if you've seen it, um, is very surprising. Except that they did like use green screen to um, take out her one of her arms and legs because yeah. they had false arms and legs to kind of like bend it away a person couldn't bend. But everything else is her actually moving. Yeah. Like that, which is amazing. It's so cool looking, but also terribly grotesque. Um, and then, so Susie, because she's a mover, which is where I was starting, sorry, where she, she is an active participant, Susie is kind of a rogue because basically they do cast Susie as the protagonist. They work on Volk and they, they um, ask Dr. Klemper to come and he's supposed to be like their witness to their spell. Like they require a witness and they require so many things to happen. And they're doing this choreography, which is the spell to bring Mother Suspiriorum because Susie's like a loose cannon and she's active. She decides that she wants to dance a certain way and it kind of ruins the dance. And Sarah, who in both movies, Sarah is the friend who befriends Susie. She helps take care of her. And then she ends up getting suspicious and finding out about the witches before Susie does and kind of you know, being doomed. And in the original movie, she falls. It's maybe one of the funniest, weirdest out there deaths. Yeah. She's like, she walks into a room, totally normal and takes a step. And she falls directly into a pit of razor wire. Yeah. And it's grotesque, but it's also like, did you not see that? I said the same thing. Both times I watched it. I was like, well, she tries to jump. And I was like, what made you think you could jump over a room full of barbed wire? (laughs) It's so silly, which is why it's a Jalo film. It's just kind of silly, but yes. it's also sad because because Sarah is, is is a you know a good friend to Susie. So in the new movie, Sarah actually finds Doctor Klemper talks to Sarah a couple times and tells her what Patricia was telling him about the witches, and he thinks it might be a delusion. But then they're both starting to think like maybe they really are witches, and she goes back and finds their creepy coven stuff, and she finds Olga and. Um, Patricia and one of them has like their hands and feet are gone and they're just kind of a stump of a person yeah it's and Olga. then the other one is just grotesquely you know in pain and she tries to go get help but the witches catch her and then they crack one of her bones open and she sinks into the floor which is interesting and breaks her leg and then they they fix her and, but now she's under their spell so while they're well, when Susie goes off book not only does it disrupt their spell, but it causes her to have, like, a, a massive, like, seizure and just be in tons of pain because it breaks the spell that they had on her. So she now feels her pain. And then she kind of disappears, too, until the ending. Um, 
So, Madame Blanc is, like, good. Like, she is a witch, but she doesn't really... You don't really see her do anything torturous to people. If anyone gets punished, it's more of the rest of them that participate. And she really cares about Susie, and they become very close. And she seems to really care about the dancers. Like, she is the person who interacts with them the most because she's the choreographer. And it seems like she is really the the face of the company and she honestly cares about everyone and for some reason madame marcos has been able to coerce a lot of a majority of the coven to think well, she, she should be in charge she's but lied she's, for years hasn't she and said she's the yeah. mother superiorum mm-hmm. yeah and so people out of fear are like yeah of course and they and there's this weird part where um madame blanc and her are kind of fighting over Susie when they're teaching choreographer choreography um creepy mother marcos it has like her hands on the ceiling uh below the floor that Susie's at and it almost gets like sexual like she's trying to seduce Susie into her way of the coven yeah. whereas like madame blanc is trying to be very honest with her and like let her make a decision on her own which yeah is how you should do and even in the beginning of the final because basically because the dance thing doesn't work out they decide okay we got to do this the old-fashioned way yeah blood and naked people dancing and human sacrifice well i think there's also something about the idea of intuition too and that Mm -hmm. madame blanc has this intuition that susie is more than what the rest of the coven thinks she is the rest of the coven thinks that she's a vegetable Madame Blanc can really sense something special about her. And the love she has for her is very much like a mother would have for her daughter. Mm -hmm. And so even at the end, she's like, Susie, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And then she says, can you sense it? Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's like also this very powerful idea of intuition and a woman's intuition at that. So, And she tells Susie, like, you have to be absolutely sure. Like, you Mm -hmm. have to make this choice yourself. Like, she's very much, like, the good parent. Then Mother Marcos gets all jealous and um, tries to behead Madame Blanc. She is not completely successful. And that's when Susie is like, oh, who were you anointed for? And and she goes, Mother Suspiriorum. And then a demon fucking comes out of the woodwork. And, oh, by the way, the demon is played by the same person who plays Susie's mother in flashbacks. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's the demon of death. And you see her dying mother say that my daughter was my sin on the world and stuff. So you're like, oh, fuck. I thought it was her familiar. I thought it was, like, the way I thought was that it was her familiar and her familiar was death. Like... Which well, maybe, like... but but death is de- that is the character is death, and basically she she summons death, and Mother Marcus is getting really creeped out, and she's like, I was anointed for Mother Suspiriorum. She has a creepy goblin voice, and um, Susie's like, Oh, I am she, and she um, lets death give everyone the kiss of death, and <laughs> when she gives them the kiss of death, their heads explode. And it's great. The only bad thing is the first three people, you see the heads explode. But then it goes into this, and I'm, I'm not the first person to say this, but I agree. There's this weird shutter speed yeah, yep, kind yep, of yep. effect, which I, you know, I don't know. That's the only thing I don't like about that sequence. I think it's kind of cool, but I feel like I would have liked to see it in all its horror, disgusting glory. But maybe it was, maybe it was just too much. I don't know. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood and like people's heads are exploding. So basically everybody who voted for Mother Marcos is sacrificed and everyone who voted for Madame Blanc is fine. Yeah. Um, which is great. 
Um, it's wonderful. And then, you know, they're sacrificing the three sacrificial girls, Olga and Sarah and Patricia. And the, this is the coolest. This is the coolest, like, like special effects thing. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things. Susie basically rips her chest open and you can see her beating heart. And she's very motherly to the three girls. And she goes to them and she goes, what, what do you want, my child? And each one of them says, I want to die. Because they've basically been keeping their lives, their bodies alive by magic. But they there are is suffering so much pain. immeasurably. Well, we literally and, see that. Like, we literally see with Sarah. They, like, uh, they, like, yeah, they rip her chest. Her. Yeah, they said disembowel her at the beginning of the ritual. So it's like, she's yeah, still standing just, there being disemboweled. But she's alive. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's basically like they numbed her. And they're just, they're just standing there, empty shells. And so she says, okay. And she just kisses them each on the forehead, very motherly, not sexual at all. I think it's, like, it's such a great line of just, like, not being, because everybody's, like, okay, this is one thing, because we look at the female gaze versus the male gaze. Yes. And often, something like this, this is not sexual. This mm-hmm. is, like, it's it's not sexual at all, but I just love that it's it's so feminine because it's so just normal and it's, and they don't tear away from the fact that everybody's naked. And she kisses him like a mother. And it's it's just beautiful. It's gorgeous, honestly. And there's this great song going on in the background. And it's just uh, it's just amazing. And Tom York, by the way, from... Radiohead. Um, Radiohead, from one of my favorite bands. He he's, does all the music for this. And it's very different from the Goblin soundtrack, but they're oh, yeah. so good. And, like, like, there's this great song in the beginning called Suspiriorum. And it's just this great little lyrical song. Whereas yeah. Goblin has almost no lyrics except like, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. like they literally are just going, tee, 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 tee. but he, he does a couple lyrical songs and he does a really good job like getting dread into the music. Yeah. Um, if you haven't, um, yeah, if you haven't listened to the soundtrack of Spheria, either one. They're both, I had to download both of them, because they're just both so good. Um, But they're so different, just like the movies. I don't have, I really, like, love both of them. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely think there's so much more to the second one in analysis, and there's so much more fleshed out. Um, But the first one is just so cool, and it was so different for the time. Yeah. And it's just legendary. So I just think... It's very rare that I like a remake and an original movie equally, but this is one of those times where I just love them both so much. You know um, what? After the big scene, after the big um, sacrificial scene, too, I actually sat there, and I will admit I kind of teared up and cried a little bit. So, because yeah. one... Okay, so there's two there's two side plots in the 2018 oh, yes. Suspiria. I was going to say, we should talk about Dr. Klumper. And yeah. And the fact that Jessica Harper is magically in both of these movies in a very yes. cool way. It is very, very cool. And one of the things... the original I've, Susie, sorry. Jessica yeah. Harper played Susie Banyan in the first movie. Yes, and one of the things I thought that was kind of a fail was that the big thing they wanted to make a part of this movie. They were like, when they were writing the screenplay, they were like, oh, you know, the original one came out in 1977, and it kind of mm-hmm. missed this opportunity to talk about all the political upheaval going on in yes. Germany at that time. So they decided, okay, we really want this to be a part of this universe, and they briefly touch on it, and then they keep mm-hmm. bringing it back for, like, TV things and radio announcements, 
But it's there, but it doesn't really serve the idea. So to me, like, if you're going to go into this history, find a way to really connect the history other than Patricia rambling a little bit at the beginning. Like, I I just, that was something that I think that they they added extra time but didn't really explore. Now, the thing I thought was more successful was Dr. Kempler. um, You see, you go into a little bit of his backstory and you find out that um, his wife was Jewish and she disappeared, mm-hmm. and he, uh, that's like a guilty part of him, um, and his story is that he was not able to get her out of Germany, and he's always wondered where she ended up, and yes. I think you may want to take this over a little bit, just because we have, um, Miss, uh, Jessica Harper coming at yes. this point. so Jessica so. Harper, who, by the way, went on all the interviews for this movie, which I think is great, because she marries the two films together because jessica harper played Susie banyan in suspiria 1977 she also plays phoenix in the phantom of the paradise which again is one of my favorite movies which is one of the reasons why i watched both of them on the same night um she's like very classically 70s actress and she's worked a lot like she hasn't like stopped working but she was very big in the 70s um she was asked to do this movie and she plays um, Dr. Klumper's wife, Anka. And it's very cool because they didn't, re- like, I didn't know she was going to be in the new one until I watched it. And I think a lot of people weren't aware. They didn't make it super public, um, which I think is the best way to do it. Because if, if, if you're watching this movie, um, you've been hearing about Dr. Klumper's kind of mentioned his wife in passing. And he's, like, walking by himself while the witches are trying to get the ceremony ready. And you see this woman come across, like, come from around the corner. And it's this, like, older but beautiful lady. And he's like, Anka? And it's Jessica Harper. And she's playing Anka. And she does the whole role in German. Yeah. Um, Which they both do because, you know, they're in Germany. Um, But uh, it's, it's very sad and beautiful because you see him throughout the movie visiting, like, their old summer home. And they have, like, a little heart with their initials in it. And she tells him, like, yes, um, I made it south, and I could never go back to you, and I ended up having a lovely life, and everything was great. And they have, like, this, like, beautiful walk through the snow, and before he knows it, he realizes he's in front of the dance academy, and then his wife is gone, and just these witches just start screaming and like grab him and kind of kidnap him to be the witness for the sacrifice. And then it goes into the big climax, but there's something so beautiful about what happens after yeah. the ceremony because he's, he's absolutely distraught. They, they do get him safely home and Susie comes to him after, you know, now she is mother superiorum. Um, she has this grace about her now. Yeah. And this like almost like, older wiser persona like she's her but she's almost like an elevated version of herself um she um goes to him and she tells him the truth she says you deserve to know the truth your wife did try to go south but she didn't have her papers with her and the border guards caught her and she was sent to a concentration camp and she froze to death but she was surrounded by two women she had befriended and she did not feel alone and all she, all she thought about was you as she died. Yeah, and it's, not, she never felt alone. And then she takes away all the bad memories of the coven and Patricia and his wife. And she's like, "We deserve guilt and we deserve shame, but not yours." Yeah. And she 
leaves him in peace so he can have a peaceful existence because this is something that has been haunting him for years like his whole life he's obviously never fully moved on he's never gotten remarried and he's never found anyone else because he never knew what happened to her and that is so terrifyingly sad but it's it's beautiful like it's a beautiful character story yeah much more fleshed out than the other backstory that they just kind of forget about halfway through the movie yeah and i i cried like the second time because it's it's almost like the way it's performed now keep in mind these actresses are performing across each other the entire movie anyway Mm -hmm. so and it almost like resonates that even the character the connection between dr kempler and susie is almost like instant and then when you think about madame blanc's been with susie the whole movie and it's tilda swinton It makes more sense. But just that relief, like you could see, it's like hearing the most gut-crushing, the most gut-punching thing possible. But then also finally knowing, and that, like, knowing she at least had someone there with her. Like, it was such a beautiful idea. And I think about it, and I, I may be this very, very dark person, but... I think about people that disappeared and you have this idea like in your head when you have a loved one that disappears you and you watch enough true crime this you know this happens and you're like this is the life I hope for for them to have and it was like he hoped his wife got away and she was living this life um and but that wasn't what happened this is what happened but it's still like at least he knows um and I thought that was the this was the kind of catharsis. This was the kind of thing I wish mm-hmm. that was spread across the movie. But I feel yeah. like, and I know that's hard to do because there's catharsis. Usually, catharsis is just at the ending. But I thought there was a lot of these beautiful moments in this movie. But it was a very very slow walk to get to a lot of these moments that we saw. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I agree that it is a little slow. Um, but I don't know. I find it very cathartic. I think the ending scene is so yeah massively dis- destructive that, but I do like, and and even the movie ends with it's on their little heart on their um, at their summer house that was on their building, which is cute because another family. It's summer and there's like a young family living there now, and it's kind of like life moving on, life being happier, life being more hopeful. Yeah, um, I do think. I wish maybe. Yeah, I kind of wish we had, like, tightened up some stuff around the middle so it moved a little more smoothly. Um, But I think also it's one of those things that probably, if you've been thinking about a movie since you were 14 years old, and you're given the freedom to not have to cut it down, um, you know, you're going to have a longer movie. And sometimes it makes it better and sometimes it makes it worse. Like, I think The Wailing's the same way. I really liked The Wailing, but it was really long. and It was really long. It needed to be cut out. Um, Yeah. You know, and I generally want directors to have as much freedom as possible, but I think some people go a little overboard. Well, there's a lot of movies I like, too, that, like, for example, you'll hear me say this, it sounds like I'm being really uh, snarky, but I'm not. Um, some Some of the movies I really enjoyed, the endings are the best part for me, and I think of The Wailing, I think of 2018 Suspiria, Mm -hmm. I think of La La Land. I don't necessarily like the whole movie, but I think (laughs) those movies have very strong endings. I will say, I think The Wailing and Suspiria are better than La La Land. I I, I I like La La Land's ending, and that sounds like I'm being an asshole, That's but all I'm dead I like serious. About La La Land. I love the ending That's... of the movie, but everything else, I'm like, oh, I can take it or leave it. So Yeah, I don't really like, I don't think anyone likes La La Land, really. But yeah, I mean, so different. 
I, I do like there's a lot of really cool like fairy tale imagery if we're gonna talk about the the older one in mm-hmm. like the color scheme of the older one and also like there's this thing about like the three mothers well there's this thing about like oh um, in the iris, like, I'm the secret passageway. Like, Susie has to find the secret passageway to the witches. And, like, there's, like, these flowers. And it's very much, like, I don't know. I just find, like, like a stained glass window kind of thing. Like, almost, mm-hmm. like, a fairy tale. Like, the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. Like, that's yes. what I see when I think of um, Suspiria. Only with a lot of blood. It looks um, it's like it opens on a dark and stormy night. Like, you know. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cool. They also, like, they have a lot of callbacks to each other because Susie also goes through a, a train station, not an airport, but she goes through, like, a very similar looking area. And there's a lot of callbacks to both of the movies. And I think, you know, it's, it can only be done with reverence. And I think the fact that Dario Argento was okay with this remake is saying something. Suspiria is honest. The original one is much about, like, the feeling of dread that Susie has and her feeling and everything. Um, but it, it's, it's very fanciful in how it's portrayed. But I like it. I mean, I like both of them. I think visually they're both stunning. Um, it is so different um, visually, but it was a purposeful choice. Yeah. Um, you know, Guadagnino did not want to copycat Dario Argento and he specifically made it beige because he was like I want to drain it of all color except during the dance sequences and the blood like the horror sequences is there anything else you want to talk anything you absolutely hate or love about the other ones um about either one not not that I can think of really I think we touched on a lot of key points I would say Echoing the masses um, with the original one, I really like how I really like how pretty it is. I mean, everything's so vivid. Um, the deaths are so vivid. It's just really, really cool. I think it's one of those movies you could probably mute it. Um, I mean, as we we haven't touched on this, but Katie and me talked about this when I was at her house watching it the other day. Um, you know, the thing is, what Argentino is that he loved to cast actors from around the world and then dub them in post production. Um, which yes. was, it was a thing in Italian cinema at the time, so that's yes. not really unnormal. But mm-hmm. look, it's really weird, so it's kind of unsettling because it's like their mouths don't quite match and the voices seem really off. Except when they do. Yeah. So it's always like, it's unsettling. Yeah. Which like, kind of brings an unsettling tone to the movie. Exactly, and I like it. So even like something as weird as that actually helps the movie, in my opinion, because it always yeah. feels like something's off about it. Whereas and, with spaghetti westerns. It always makes it kind of silly, in my opinion. But they're yeah. not as serious as this movie. Exactly. Now, with the new one, what I what I did like about the new one, I did love... Okay, I guess we... And what you pointed out is ever since he was a, a 14-year-old, he's always wanted to direct this movie. And sometimes when you're so close to a project, you really need someone else's opinion to kind of help you step away from it. I love mm-hmm. how much history and thought... That he put into these characters. Like you could tell like the idea of the script. And the development of these characters. There was so much love there. Um, And I did like Mm -hmm. that. I just almost wish that someone could help him self-contain. This idea he had just more. Yeah it was almost like a George Lucas thing. Like I wish someone had been like nope. Just a couple times. Not Mm -hmm. all the time. Just a couple times. Like nope Han Solo can't be a frog. Like we needed that person in this movie to make it more palatable to other people. Now I love it. And a lot of people love this movie. 
Um, but I get when people are like, eh, it wasn't for me. I totally get it. Even though it isn't more, like, action-filled, it's more about the movement of the story. It's more about the characters and about the journey and the plot. And it, it, it's a lot more in-depth. And I think you have to think a lot more when you watch the second one, the new one. Because I think the old one, like, you, even though we were watching it and we watched it with our with Taylor and our friend Peter, like, both of them were making fun of it the whole time. But yeah. even they were entertained by it. Yeah. Whereas I think most people, if they watch the new one, if they don't, if they're not engrossed about it, if they don't want to, like, think about it and, like, listen to, like, the characters and stuff, um, I think probably people just kind of tune out. Then you never yeah. get to the horrible, grotesque climax, which is amazing. So, I think you should definitely, I think they're both worth the watches. And they're both really well-made movies, but I do think, I agree, we could tighten up the new one. Just a little bit. Did you have a, did you have a rating for each of them? Ah, uh, you know what? Uh, you're not going to believe me when I say this. Um, I think I'm giving both of them a seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would say I definitely give the old one a seven because while visually it's stunning, the performances, except not really Jessica Harper, but most of the other performances are kind of silly. And uh, I love it. I have to say it. Flesh yeah. Flesh yeah. Well, I definitely give um, the new one an 8.5. Okay. Fair enough. Because it's so well made. Um, did you have like a, a, like a Grindhouse Girls rating for either I, of them? I did not. Did you? For, for both of them. Okay. I do. I had rated X for Hexens and Heroines. Because Hexens means witch in German. Um, and then rated B for Blood, Ballet, and Berlin. I do like the B, except the original one doesn't take place in Berlin, technically, no, it's right? No, it's, it's Freiburg. Yeah. yeah. But, but I do like the B. Okay, um, what about the next movie? It's your turn. It is my turn. And, um, as you guys probably already realize it, now we, we at Grindhouse Girls Podcast, we are not above doing movies that, um, are popular because, of course, my theory, and I think Katie agrees with me, a lot of things are popular for good reason. Like, if a lot of people like something, it's because it resonates with a lot of people, which I always appreciate. But, I always like to find kind of hidden gems, too. So, yeah. In preparation for episode 51, I initially thought about doing Crimson Peak. But then I was like, <gasps> yeah, but, Yes, because I've already been rewatching it. Yes. But then I figured, so you know, let's, let, let me save Crimson Peak maybe for another episode or two. So, friends, we may come back to visit this. Um, watch Katie pick it next time. <laughs> exactly. Watch Katie pick it next time. And that is perfectly fine with me. Um, I started so, watching it the day it came back on Netflix. That's funny. It's, it's, I like it, too. Um, so there's a movie I came across um, that I had never heard about, um, but it has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, granted, that's not Ooh. an all-be-all, but I thought it was interesting. It had 99% out of 90 reviews, um, and it was an hour Ooh. and 24 minutes, which is actually pretty short for a horror movie. Yeah. And it's on Netflix. Um, it is a movie called Under the Shadow. Oh, I think I've heard of this. So, but I haven't um, seen it yet. Yeah, and um, something, I have not read any spoiler reviews, but something I keep coming across in reviews is the word clever and smart, which I always love hearing describe scary movies. 
good. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I'm excited because, like, I love that we're going from one that, like, we know, like, the back of our hand to, like, one that we've never seen before. But I think I've heard of this one. I just don't think I've actually, like, watched it yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so this was a 2016 movie, which uh, surprised me, because usually I try to be on top of my horror and thriller movies, and this one just totally flew under my radar, so. I remember hearing about it coming on Netflix, and everyone was like, watch it, watch it, watch it, but it also seemed really depressing, so, like, sometimes I'm just not in the mood to watch depressing horror. Fill you on um, that. Like, Spirit 2018. Um, it's fun! Yay! Um... But yeah, yeah, I'm excited though. That's an exciting one. Um, Did we want to say any special thank yous for our 50th episode? Yeah, um, so um, like we have said multiple times, so we are coming up on our one year. Um, We're coming up on our 50th episode. This is our 50th episode, actually. Um, And I'm just amazed about, uh, you know, how far we've come, how far we've grown, Um, especially when we started and we were like, microphones, what are... Like, we didn't even wear headphones. Everything was echoey. and (laughs) Yeah, it was like, uh, we're going to talk for three and a half hours, and here's a three and a half hour episode. We hope you all enjoy. Um, I'm glad we have started to step away from, even though I love our movies, like our Hereditary movies and The Lighthouse, I'm glad we kind of have stepped away into more of the indie features. It was nice to see some movies I probably would never have given a chance. But I watched it for Grindhouse Girls, and I, I liked it. So, um, yeah. yeah, I love it. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for our long-term listeners. I know um, our friend Clark has been with us since the beginning, um, and they listen to the podcast pretty regularly. Um, my friend Stephanie, um, always Stephanie and me work together, um, and she usually gives me feedback on a lot of our episodes. So thank you, Steph. Um I'm thankful for Katie. Uh, of course, most of all, Katie oh. reached out to me. Um, I would have never been on this adventure if it wasn't for Katie. Uh, Katie is the mother of this podcast, and I am very proudly the father of this podcast. <laughs> so, Katie, Katie does, Katie does, a, Katie does a lot of the work, and I hold her hand for it. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, as I cry. As as yes. you cry, and hopefully, yes. <laughs> I I definitely uh, I'm asking forgiveness now, just in case. I, now that I have to take care of a wife at my home, <laughs> like uh, like editing was fun last night. I had to. I don't usually wait to edit until Mondays or Tuesday nights. I usually finish Monday at the latest, but I didn't start until Monday because usually I edit on a Sunday, and I was picking up my puppy, and um, so. Uh, that was fun to entertain a puppy while trying to edit. So and I had to have my parents come take him for a walk while we were recording so he wouldn't cry. He's just, he's got separation anxiety. The house he lived at before were retirees who never left the house. And so he just, uh, I have to like, I have to let him be by himself, which is hard because he's always crying, but he's fine. He's fine. He has a ton of toys and food and water and puppy pads and like he's fine it's just you know he doesn't want to be by himself because he's not used to it but um he's learning to entertain himself and he's doing really well um i want to say thank you to Brittany for um following me and being okay with doing this journey when i asked her it was a complete shot in the dark but she's so much better at analyzing and so much more eloquent at uh forming her opinions into words whereas I start saying something I think is really smart and then halfway through completely lose my track of 
what I'm saying, just like I am now. Um, and I want to thank everybody who's been listening. Um, like she said, Clark and Stephanie and our friend Peter, who oh, has yes. some good feedback. Hi, Peter. Who wants us to keep it down to an hour, which I do say we get more views when um, or listens when we have like close to an hour. So <laughs> I don't know if this episode is going to be close to an hour. But we're only at two hours recording, so hopefully, I'm sure a lot of it's me rambling about, which is mostly what I cut out. Um, And I want to think, and Taylor, Taylor actually, you guys will have seen these at this point, but Taylor actually took some really cool pictures of us to celebrate our one year, and we'll be releasing those probably the day this comes out, maybe earlier this week, Um, which is very exciting. And my parents, my parents actually listened to the podcast. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Dell. (laughs) <laughs> hey um, we love you guys and just everybody like honestly like so many of our friends have just been like even if they don't listen every week they've been very supportive our friend Kaylin um, who is she's actually like a journalist uh, and a, she does a lot of photography um, she actually has been really supportive too and it just you know we've, everybody thank you for listening and um, keep sharing it because the more people you share it with um, the faster it'll grow and thank you for going on this journey with us. And I hope we have many more years because I can't believe it's been a year. Yeah. It's been crazy. crazy. Yeah. Believable, but crazy. Because I guess I'm like, my life has changed a lot in the last year. In case you didn't know about it. Um, just, I went through, I don't know how much I ended up like sharing on the podcast, but I went through a huge life change last year in the middle of starting the podcast. I was furloughed from my job. I'd never not had a job before. Then uh, my decade-long relationship ended um, kind of abruptly. And then I went from that to, like, buying a house and getting a puppy. And, like, I went through a lot of stuff this last year. And Brittany, I don't know how I would get through it without Brittany and without the podcast because it gave me something to do and focus on and to have an outlet to watch horrific movies because for me uh, it's cathartic to watch movies that are horrifying or that make you cry um i was watching Shit's creek last night and there is a beautiful breakup scene between two characters where like they love each other but they're both moving physically in different directions and they have to break up. And I started crying last night over Shit's Creek, but in a good way, because it was just such an honest, like that's a real situation that happens in a lot of people's lives where like you want to be with somebody, but circumstances are holding you back. And I was like, ah, damn, feeling the feels, but I love feeling the feels because I think a lot of times we push things down and we don't feel the feels. And then, Years later, we're like, why are we so fucking miserable? It's because we didn't feel the feels. So I think movies serve that purpose. It makes you feel alive. Yes. And like, I mean, I don't think, and I'm so glad you said that because I feel like this last year, me going through all that shit and then doing the podcast and having an outlet, I feel so much more like a person again. Like I feel things much more deeply and I finally understand why people like Taylor Swift Um, because... (laughs) I may not think she's the best musician, but she has been through every breakup in the book, and I get why people enjoy her because it is cathartic. Much I like know horror movies. I know it hasn't been easy for you um, this past year, but I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Oh, thank Bernie you. Does so and much shit you? for other people. Y'all have no idea how much. Oh. I'm not going to get into personal stuff. 
I'm not going to tell Brittany's personal stuff on the air, but she puts so much heart into her family and friends and is just so supportive. And she's just supportively listened to me bawl my eyes out before we recorded so many times and just, you know, just sat there and cried with me. And been oh, like, yeah, it's it's she's, she doesn't pretend <laughs> that it's OK that this situation's happening, but she's just like, I'm sorry it's happening to you and I'm here for you. So um, Brittany is a beautiful soul. And I will tell Aww. anybody, I'm sure I've said this before, that Brittany is one of the kindest, sweetest people I've ever known in my entire life. And I kick myself that we didn't hang out between college and now because, like, we have so much in common and, like, we just didn't know because of just life and not being near each other and hanging out as much, which is sad. (laughs) It's like, We could have done this ten years ago. Damn being a musical theater major versus being a non-musical theater major. (laughs) We didn't have all the classes together. We had some classes together, but we didn't, we weren't on the same track, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we could be five years deep into a podcast at this point. If oh, my God. Different, but that's Who's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We'll, we'll be five years deep in five years. That's It'll true. Fine. Thanks for being on this journey, guys. And we'll, we'll be back next week. I'm not saying goodbye. Just I feel like it's a momentous occasion. It is. It is. It's, it's incredible um, to think about it. Um, but, you know, once again, as I say every single week and, um, you know, thank you. Thank you for spending a small part of your day with us. It means the world to us that you're out there, you're listening. Um, just to think that my voice or Katie's voice is echoing throughout your house or in your car. <laughs> That's just amazing to think Between about. Between your ears. Between your ears. Um, thank you for sharing a small part of your day with us. I don't know if you're on your commute to work. Uh, if you are, hi, Stephanie. I know that's when you usually listen to us. If you're, uh, if you're doing chores. Taking a walk. If you're, if you're going to sleep before bed, hi, Peter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) not creepy at all. They, they tell us these things, I promise. Yeah. (laughs) Watch, Peter never listens to this episode. He's like, I don't really want to watch the second Suspiria. And he never knows. Yeah, he'll never know that. For 10 years. He'll never know. But um, we we appreciate you just uh, letting us be a small part of your lives. I hope you're doing something good for yourself today. I hope you do a little yoga if it makes you feel good. I hope you eat your favorite candy. I hope you remember right now to take a shot of water. You stay hydrated, you beautiful, beautiful bitch. Um... But thank you again for being here. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We are so glad you are sharing this planet with us today. So thank you. Thank you. Yay. Yes. Thank you, guys. We love you. Don't forget to wash your hands. Take your vitamins. Uh, definitely stay hydrated and caffeinated if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be kind to everybody. It's been a, it's been a, there's been good things and bad things this week. There's been some horrible things, but we also got finally the result we all were hoping and praying and knowing was going to happen with the Derek Chauvin yes, trial. Absolutely. Um, that was a relief, but there's been some not good things happening too um, this week. So I just hope everyone's being kind to each other and, um, try your best i know sometimes things look really bleak and shitty and awful um and it doesn't seem like things are ever gonna get okay um but then sometimes somebody just offers you a puppy of nowhere and sometimes good things happen like i was going through another kind of rough time not through anybody's fault just bad circumstances kind of thing and it was really breaking my heart and 
the fact that I have a puppy to distract me and to love, um, which is something I've wanted for like forever. Katie has talked um, about a dog every week since the beginning of this podcast. That is not a lie. Yes. Yeah, I've been talking about it for like 10 years. And I have a family dog that I love, but it's just not the same as having something with you all the time. So, like, it's just nice. Um, he was licking my face as I was crying watching Shit's Creek last night. So, <laughs> he, other than needing my attention pretty much all the time, he, it's, it's a lovely thing. But, you know, like, just, just like, keep, keep your chin up, everybody. I don't know what else to say. I know it's a really stupid thing and really glib, but I just feel like sometimes we... Everything just seems so dark, and it, it is, but, you know, there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the Frankenstein place. Anyways. Um, yeah, anyways, but we love you guys. Thank you for watching. Um, be sure to watch Suspiria, and be sure to watch um, Under the Shadow on Netflix. At least U.S. Netflix. Yes. Um, and by the way, if you're looking to watch St. Maud, which we were talking about, it's on Epics. Woo! So, um, if you guys want to watch that, because I can't wait to watch that one, too. Um, and I wonder, the Oscars would have happened by the time this will this be happens, released, yes. but we won't have seen it yet. Nope. So, we'll probably have a little bit of an Oscar discussion next week if we're at the beginning. I'm sure we'll be either surprised or not surprised yeah. by who wins and who doesn't. So, um, yeah. Uh, we love you guys. Sorry for the ramble, but... <laughs> Thank you for one year, and we hope to have many more. Um, Yeah, love you guys. And yeah, and as always, we love you very much, um, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoopy place, same spoopy channel. Same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. (laughs) Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. Have a good night. Good night. Bye, Katie. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>